One of the games that I liked to play when I was a kid and we were bored uh, was the game Hangman. Okay, you familiar with this game? Uh, first, you draw a hangman's gallows on a piece of paper. Okay, then you come up with a word that the other person has to guess, and then you write the, uh, the exact amount of letters that are in that word, and then they've got to guess. Uh, and with every wrong guess, the stick figure that you're drawing becomes more clear until if they guess wrong the final time, he is hung on a noose. Kind of a morbid game when you think about it, right? I've been playing this game with Dex lately, uh, but there's a lot on the line to discover this missing word. A stick man's life depends on you finding the right word. Uh, this morning in this episode of the story of Esther, we're going to read about uh, a, a, a real-life hangman story. Okay, You can cut the tension in the story with a knife. And so if you missed last week, Esther, this orphan Jewish girl, has now become queen of Persia, and her cousin that raised her, his name is Mordecai, uh, he tells her, to, he insists that she does not reveal her Jewish identity. So our story begins today with Mordecai, who is an official at the king's gate. And he overhears two of the king's guards talking to each other. And these guards had a unique access to the king. And they were talking about an assassination plan. Apparently, King Xerxes had done something that made these men upset, and they tried to plot his assassination. Well, Mordecai discovers this. He hears about it. And so he goes to his cousin, the queen, tells her, and the plot is foiled. All the details of this assassination attempt and failure are written down in the annals of the king. This too proves to be an interesting tidbit for our story later on. So after all these events, there is a new rising star in the palace. And his name isn't Mordecai. No, this other person is being promoted left and right. And his name is the vile Haman. Okay? Every good story, there's a bad guy. And our bad guy is Haman. He is the chief advisor to King Xerxes. If Esther was a Disney movie, he would be Jafar. Okay? He would be Scar. He would be Gaston or Prince Hans, okay? And one day, Haman walks out into the courtyard, and everybody in the courtyard bows down to him, and he loves it. Everyone except for Mordecai. This, of course, makes Haman angry and upset, okay? He is an angry man full of pride. He gets so mad at Mordecai that he becomes filled with rage and he wants to murder him. But he doesn't just want to murder him. He wants to murder his entire family. But he doesn't want to just murder his entire family. He wants to murder his entire race. He wants to see the annihilation of the Jewish people. It's interesting that in our story, Haman comes into power the same time as Esther becomes queen. And this was the seventh year of Xerxes' reign. So Haman comes up with this plan to kill all the Jewish people, this plan of genocide. He presents his plan to King Xerxes. We read in the scriptures that the plan he presents to King Xerxes happens in the 12th year of Xerxes' reign. So his incident in the courtyard with Mordecai was in the seventh year of his reign, and yet he waits five years to bring the plan to Xerxes. He spends five years full of hatred for Mordecai. He spends five years upset, just letting his anger brew and stir within him. Whenever you let anything fester, the consequences can be devastating. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let no bitter root grow up because it causes trouble and defiles many. Do you have any bitter roots in your own life that you have let well up? It's going to cause some trouble. You see, Mordecai's offense led to Haman to live a life of bitterness. And bitterness leads to resentment. And resentment leads to retaliation. And retaliation leads to anger. And anger leads to wrath. And wrath leads to hatred. And hatred leads to violence. And violence leads to murder. And murder leads to genocide. Haman didn't fall into violence. He slid. It grows from a root of bitterness. So let's root out bitterness because beware, there is a bit of Haman in all of us. So Xerxes signs this edict to annihilate all the Jews. Okay, He's manipulated by Haman. And when he signs the edict, he doesn't know that his wife Esther is in fact Jewish. So Mordecai hears of the plot to destroy all of his people and he tore his clothes and he wept and he put on ash cl uh, sackcloth and he is in utter distress. He is weeping throughout the palace guard. And Esther hears that her, the only father she's ever known, Mordecai, is weeping and in distress. So they begin this correspondence back and forth through the king's eunuch. And they're sending these messages back and forth. And he tells Esther, he begs her to go before the king and to plead for mercy. She says, if I go before the king without being summoned, then the penalty is death. The only way I'll survive is if the king extends his royal scepter and I touch it. That's the only way I'll be pardoned. And just so you know, it's never been done. There is no record in ancient history of someone touching the king's royal scepter. Not one. Mordecai responds with the most famous line in the book, and we'll read it straight from Esther chapter 4. Mordecai says, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's household will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position, say it together, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. This is your moment, Queen Esther. This is why you're queen. This is why you're living in a palace. This is why you've been given influence. Not for your own comfort, but for blessing others. You are queen for such a time as this. And you too are in a season for such a time as this. You are in your present circumstances for such a time as this. There is a reason for your season. There is a purpose in your pain. There is a design in your disaster. There is hope in your hurts. For such a time as this. Esther replies, gather all the Jewish people in the city, fast for me for three days, and me and my attendants will do the same. Then I'll enter the king's chambers, and if I perish, I perish. This is the second most famous line in the book of Esther. I love it. This woman of courage and bravery. If I perish, I perish. She fasted for three days. She doesn't rush in. 
this moment is about fasting, not about feasting. And it is the turning point in the story for such a time as this. And after three days, it was now time. Esther looks in the mirror. I picture her hunched over, staring at herself, wondering if this is the last time she's going to see the light of day. When the moment arrives, she rushes to the throne room and she risks her own life and approaches the king. And the king is pleased to see her. He extends his royal scepter, something that's never been done, and she boldly steps before the king. He says to her, Esther, my queen, whatever you want, up to, even if it's up to half the kingdom, it's yours. And this is her moment. This is her moment for such time as this, right? This is her chance to oust Haman, the vile Haman. And Esther says, he, the king says, what is your request? And she says, here's my request. My request is, and then she pauses. She stops. Something holds her back. What are, what are you doing, Esther? This is your moment. This is your chance. This is the, the culmination of the entire story. But something holds her back. She says, my request is, uh, to have dinner with you and Haman tomorrow evening. Seems a bit anticlimactic, right? Why doesn't she out the bad guy? Why doesn't she bring victory to God and to her people? She pauses. Why didn't she reveal her purpose? Because timing is everything. God doesn't want us to just do the right thing. He wants us to do the right thing at the right time. God often pauses before he produces. Some of us, we feel like God has paused our lives. He stopped something in our lives. But the pause wasn't him stopping. The pause is him starting. He's about to do something big. In the story of Esther, God's not winding down. He's warming up. Check this out, because, because Esther pauses, it causes Haman to leave that banquet full of arrogance and pride. Well, the queen wants to have dinner with me and the king tomorrow night. That was her one request. I must be so special. I must be so favored. So he walks out into the courtyard, leaves the palace, and who does he see? Oh, he sees good old Mordecai again. And this just gets him all hot and bothered again. So he goes home and he starts complaining. And he says, oh, the queen came in. She barges in. She touches the royal scepter. And she has one request, and it's to have dinner with me and the king. I'm so special. But then I go on the courtyard and I see this Mordecai guy, and he just ruins it for me all over again. All the positive vibes go out the window. And then the wife starts getting in on the complaining. You know what the wife says? She says, you know what you should do, honey? Oh, my sweet Haman. You know what you should do? Uh, you should build a hangman's gallows, 70 feet tall. And then you should murder him tomorrow. And this pleased Haman. He's, it's a great idea, babe. I'll kill him tomorrow. I'll build 70 feet gallows. Do you know how disturbed you have to be to build a killing device 70 feet tall in the air? He's like, it's a great idea. I'll build it. And because Esther paused, the king went home that evening. He gets home. He can't sleep. He's restless. And just by coincidence, I suppose, 
He demands that one of his attendants read the record of his reign. And so the attendant goes to the, the huge library in the king's bedroom and he pulls out the annals of the king, the, the record of his reign, and he just so happens to turn to the page where he reads about this foiled assassination attempt by his two guards that was spoiled by Mordecai, this Jew. So the king says, Has anything been done to honor this Mordecai who saved my life those years ago? And the attendant says, well, there's nothing that's been done for him. And so the next morning, Haman walks into the king's court, and he is, he's ready to kill Mordecai. And the king, after a restless night of sleep, says to Haman, Yo, Haman, what would you do for someone who saved your life? Now Haman, full of pride, full of arrogance, says, Well, <laughs> obviously you're talking about me, so um, here's what I would do. I would put him on a royal horse dress him in kingly robes, and I would parade him through Persia, honoring him before all. That's what I would do. And because Esther paused, it caused Xerxes to then say to Haman, great idea, go find that Jew Mordecai, put a kingly robe on him, put him on a horse, and parade him through town to honor him. Be all because Esther paused, it caused Haman, the hater of Mordecai, to become Haman, the celebrator of Mordecai. Because Esther paused, a hater became a celebrator. Esther paused, she followed the spirit, and it led to the honor of the person she loved most in this world. God's pause isn't a stop. He's just getting started. Now, there's no mention of God in this book, but there's these divine coincidences on every page. I once read that a coincidence is a miracle in which God prefers to remain anonymous. I think that's true. Here's a fascinating question. Would the results have been the same had she not fasted for three days? Was Esther perhaps more in tune with God's spirit she had been longing for him in a new way because she had been sacrificing something that she held so dear that was nourishing could she be, have been more led by the spirit in that moment because she was relying on God's strength not her own lastly God moves slow fast okay God moves slow fast some of us need to hear that in this season right now. God moves slow, fast. Esther 1 through 4, okay, it's a nine-year process, okay? There's nine years from Esther 1 to Esther chapter 4. Yet when the turnaround begins, okay, when God begins to move in sudden ways, so you got Esther 1 through 4, nine years. Esther's 5, 6, 7, 8, 24-hour period. It's a lot like the 2020 divisional playoff game between the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, the Chiefs were down 24 to 0 in the second quarter. It felt like nine years, okay? And then the Lord began to move. First, a kickoff return by McCole Hardman. Then a fourth down stop by Daniel Sorensen. Then a fumbled kick return recovered by Darwin Thompson, sixth-round pick from Utah State last year, and then the magic of Patrick Mahomes II. 
And within 10 minutes, the Chiefs had scored 28 points, and they had the lead before halftime. There is a suddenness to the move of God. Amen? God is slow fast. For some of us, we believe that we are in a season of slow. And so your question is, well, when is he going to start moving fast? When does God start to move suddenly? Well, God moves suddenly when things are ready. One of my favorite desserts is a cupcake. Okay? I love cupcakes. Cupcakes and I get along. Okay? And a cupcake is made of many different ingredients. Okay? By themselves, the ingredients don't look very good. They don't even taste very good. Okay? You got raw eggs, flour, baking powder, salt, pure vanilla extract, and one stick of room temperature unsalted butter. Okay. There are a lot of ingredients inside a cupcake that by themselves are not very desirable. But when you put them together and then you put them in the fire for the right amount of time, out comes something very desirable. Can you hear this? On the other side of the fire, something extremely undesirable becomes very desirable. So often in our lives, we need a stick of butter that was our failure. The falling that you experienced, well, that was salty. You might have experienced three tablespoons of rejection or two teaspoons of anxiety or an overabundance of anxiety. And all alone, you want to throw them all out. But when you put them together in the fire called life, God can bake something quite desirable. That's the way it works with God. Nothing is wasted. God uses everything. He will take the bad stuff and he will make it into good stuff. So in Esther 7, Haman parades his enemy all throughout the city and it is beyond awful for him. But at least he still has Esther's banquet that evening, right? At least he still has the party that she's throwing for him and the king. And so when he arrives, the king demands from Esther, Esther, what's your request? Tell me, I've been waiting 24 hours. Tell me your request. And she says, grant me my life and the life of my people. And the king says, who would want to kill the queen? Whoever it is, he's dead to me. Give me his name. And Esther says, it is he, the vile Haman. Haman spits out his wine. His fate is decided. The king leaves the room in a rage. And the Bible says that he left his glass of wine. And for him to leave his glass of wine, you know that he's upset. And now Haman stays behind and he approaches Esther. He starts to beg for his life. And she gra he grabs her by the shoulders and says, please, have mercy, have mercy. Just then, the king realizes that he forgot his wine. So he re-enters the room and he sees Haman's hands on his wife. And remember what we said last week. Nobody touches the queen except for the king's eunuch or the king himself. The penalty is death. And so it is with Haman. The king says, Let's, that's it. You're done. You're dead. Let's kill him. How shall we kill him? And the one of his attendants says, well, there's these 70-foot gallows right by Haman's house. He says, perfect. Talk about digging your own grave. And Haman is hung on the gallows. 
Talk about a sudden turnaround. On the gallows built for Mordecai hangs Haman. The signet ring that was given to Haman is now given to Mordecai. The property given to Haman is now given to Esther, who then gives it to Mordecai. The arc of the universe is towards justice. And so it is with Esther and with Mordecai and with the Jewish people. Jesus is slow fast. What do you mean? Well, the first 30 years of Jesus' life is very slow. Then he has three and a half years of ministry. It's fat, very fast. And then he dies on a cross. And then there's this pause. These days inside a tomb of silence. But God's moving suddenly. And then there's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is slow fast. Do you need a turnaround in your life? Are you experiencing a pause? Because stay awake because there is a suddenness to the movement of God. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. He's slow fast. He's got plans for you. He's got dreams for you. Stay awake. Let's pray. God, we pray in Jesus' name that we would stay awake in the middle of life's pauses. May we trust your heart when we don't understand your hand. So God, move slow fast. We pray that those of us who have been on this pause, we pray for a suddenness, Jesus. Keep us awake, Father. Keep our eyes open. Keep our hearts with a spirit uh, of longing for you, a spirit of being attentive to your voice, that we may pause when you pause. God, we don't want to move if you're not calling us to move. So shake us up, God. Lord, help us to see that the ark bends towards justice, goodness, and love. In Jesus' name, amen.